What, what steps have you seen the Russian government and companies in Russia and even oligarchs and so forth taken to circumvent the sanctions that's been imposed on their people? There, there are, uh, I had to thread carefully here. But... <laughs> Money makes a Dear listeners of The Laundry, welcome back to the show. Today I'm joined by Jürgen Holmlund. He is a professor within the field of intelligence, a keynote speaker, and one of the foremost experts within gathering, analyzing, and utilizing intelligence to protect society. He's working with the armed forces as well as lecturing, and Jürgen has consulted both the UN and the NATO on intelligence, contributed as a writer on the UN Military Peacekeeping Intelligence Handbook, and he brings with him over 25 years of experience, holding different positions, including leading the analyst team. Today, we're going to talk about intelligence, sanctions, and combining the two. It's great to have you on the show, Jürgen. Welcome. Thank you. I'm more than happy to, to be uh, willing to speak on this matter. So it's, it's, it's a great concern of mine. So thank you for bringing it up. Absolutely. We're looking forward to it. So... I figured sanctions, it's been a term that's been thrown around quite a lot over the last couple of years, especially since R Russia invaded uh, Ukraine. Uh, I think we could just start off kind of basic by the definition of sanctions. What is it and what's the, what's the motive behind imposing sanctions on a country or a person? Yeah, you're right. Uh, what happened last year uh, had one aspect, but it started even 2014 when, when uh, Russia uh started a war or annexed uh crimea at that time i think S sweden as well uh, the nordic countries as well as european union wasn't quite ready for that because at that time we had a view of of the everlasting peace mm. uh although what happened in, in georgia and, and other areas could have uh, got us more started but crimea i think was a turning point for sanctions in a sense of uh, trying to have an economic or political view of uh, putting pressure on the war contributing parts uh, and, and try to get them on board because uh, multiple uh, trade together builds a foundation for peace has, which has been a, a long-lasting term. That's the basic foundation of the European Union that if we do trade with each other, we won't fight. Uh, so all the sanctions that were put together in 2014 uh, were supposed to put a pressure on, on Russia. And now there's a new sanction uh, package, which is even heavier in that session. So the main topic is to uh, get Russia out of, of fighting for the moment. But sanctions could also have trade issues for one country to put tariffs mm. On different part, part of trades or sanction towards some party in order to to, to benefit your own trade but uh, what we see as sanctions today is a clear view of, of stopping the, the war so would you say the sanctions has been imposed over the last few years especially since 2014 has worked as intended or has it uh, has it not worked as intended if a decided end state would be that we we, we stop the war or that we have no war fraction parties in Crimea, or that the sanctions would have sent a clear warning sign that if you do anything more compared to what you did in, in Crimea 2014, uh, it will have a huge impact on your system. Uh, I would say, no, it's not working. Uh, when it comes to the understanding of, of a sort of delayed effect 
on, on the system that what we are doing today will have an impact on Russian economy and the, and the benefit of unifying the European Union and, and the United States together in, in economic sanctions and doing trade together. It will have a long-lasting uh, effect uh, regarding that view. But uh, to be quite frank, I don't think Russia could be beaten in the 12, 12 within a year. Mm except from a military status. So the sanctions would, won't have that part within the next year, but they do have an effect. Interesting. What, what steps have you seen uh, the Russian government and companies in Russia and even oligarchs and so forth taken to circumvent the sanctions that's been imposed on their people? There, there are, uh, I had to thread carefully here, but <laughs> there, there, there are steps where you can see that some of the countries in in, uh, in Europe or in Europe's near vicinity uh, are, are based on doing trade. So you can allow passports in their country for a very good reason. Uh, we would like to have, like Turkey, Russian investments, company starting. So if you enter our country, we can handle we can handle your companies. We can even handle you as individuals, no matter sanctions. Uh, and if persons and companies are renamed, it will be a trouble of, of uh, following the money and following the persons from a sanctions perspective. Uh, the same with Cyprus, uh, similar parts with, with Malta as well. So if you allow golden passports, as if you invest in Cyprus, you will have a European passport. Uh, loosen up the, the, the steps and the links in order to follow persons. Mm. Uh, I think you could say that oligarchs, organized crime, intelligence agencies, Russian intelligence agencies are being a, a part of white laundering moves. They did that in Baltic, the Baltic states in 2014. Uh, two Swedish, uh, well, one Swedish uh, bank has been written a lot about, but you have Danske Bank, which is a da Danish bank, uh, was a huge contributor to money money laundering in, in in the Baltic states. Over, overall, I think it was 20, 20 billion US dollars uh, from Russian oligarchs, Russian companies, but also part of, of the Russian state being white laundered sent sent forward to other banks. So answering your question, uh, the Russian government are I'm pretty sure that they are centrally controlled and centrally designed in order to use a lot of different tools for the benefit of, of uh, white laundering uh, money. So the oligarchs are, of course, part of, of their own interest, but they are also being used as a, as a tool for the Russian government. Uh, and get me right, it's uh, what I have is at least uh, a bit over 100 interesting names mm. towards individual sanctions and the oligarch companies sanctions are provoked. So it's more than 100 persons. Uh, uh, they, they are dying at, at the speed of light, but uh, there are still a, a triple number of oligarchs, and some of them have very close links to, to the government function in that way. So I think you could say that, yes, they are being used in order to to help the state white whitewash uh, money. It's interesting. And seeing how, uh, how, how much exposure 
sanctions have gotten in the news as well. Uh, it seems like almost everyone knows by now what, what sanctions are, and that's largely due to the media uh, publishing new sanctions are imposed. There's talk about new sanctions, new legislations and so forth being imposed. Uh, but but seeing how, how little it actually does work and, and sort of based on the statement of it hasn't worked as intended as well. Uh, do you think it's proportionate the coverage that it's actually getting in in the fighting in the fight uh, fight against Russia just now? Uh, when it comes to means of war, uh, it's hard to say what's proportionate. We're talking here at the National Defense College regarding rule of of war uh, and uh, international humanitarian law in order how you fight and what you don't. You don't shoot at, at hospitals or others. But there are interesting things taking place uh, in a wartime situation, which is not, not necessarily proportionate when it comes to international humanitarian law. So adding in that sense, what what, what someone is doing in a war, uh, if, if you provoke a sanction towards that country, could be viewed upon as, as tools of trying to end the war. Uh, so putting the Russia outside the SWIFT payment, which makes it, it very hard for them to handle international payments, to handle sanctions towards different means uh, of, of, of Russia. I will stretch to that within a moment, but uh, everything is about trying to pressure Russia of not uh, fighting a war because everyone would like that to, to end. Uh, if, if it did, uh, I'm pretty sure that the Western part of, of um, uh, uh, Europe, meaning the European Union and, and others, would be more than welcoming of, of doing trade together in that sense. Because part of the things that Russia do have, like fertilizers and, and other things, are, are they are a main producer of a lot of, of things that is needed for, for a daily life society. And of course, we should export things back to a functioning Russia, but that will be a layer on. And I think all the good economic and negotiating parts will, will, will get to that. I do think that is economic sanctions would be pretty much proportionate for, for the time being because people are actually dying in, in the eastern Ukraine for the moment. And um, you, you mentioned SWIFT payment system. Um, and the thought of maybe even placing Russia outside of the SWIFT payment. Uh, one argument against that is that at some point, even though probably short to midterm, it would uh, it would make it hard to do plenty of transactions. Uh, but mid to long term, uh, they would then create another payment system that we probably would have less insights into that compared to SWIFT, which is used largely uh, now in, in Europe, at least. So what's your take on that? I think you're stressing, I'm, I'm not the economist to, to view on that. I'm, I'm more into intelligence and, and hard facts of that session. But I, I, I've read some pieces regarding that as well. So I, I think you're absolutely spot on. And I think you should uh, focus a little bit outside of Europe and focus more on, on what's happening to the eastern parts of Russia, what's happening in the connection with China, and and don't forget India. Mm. So if you have major countries like that, each of them combined, China and, and, uh, uh, and India, uh, 
co- covers uh, a lot more of people and economy compared to the European unions. So uh, if they decide to do something else with, with Eastern trade, uh, in, in a sense of, of helping or doing trade with Russia in this way, because I, I, I don't think it's all about helping. I think it's about being very clever and, and having a very long view of, of future developments. I think these two countries are, are so pretty darn big. So if they want to create a parallel economic system, that they will do it. Yeah, it makes com- complete sense. I, I, I think we should jump into the part of um, part of the interview where we could look a bit more into the work that's been done now on intelligence. And then let's go back to how to combine the two in terms of using intelligence with the work on sanctions. Based on your experience, Jürgen, how has the trends within the intelligence community shifted over the last few years? What, what, what's, the, what's the current status on the intelligence work done by nations now? The, I, I think there's a major shift in two different parts, uh, which is both of them pretty much technology driven. Um, I don't think enough emphasis is put down to open source intelligence when it comes to handling social media for individuals, handling trends, doing uh, artificial intelligence. Uh, And quite frankly, large organizations have a, um, they are not that easily shifting into new moods. Uh, And that means, uh, that mean, means banks, that means police organization, that means intelligence organizations, army wise. And, and that's just the construction of having huge organizations because they have a framework of, of making a decision and, and what you buy today will, will end up within five years. So it's, it's sort of a, a deliverance point where everything is done in a proper way, but, but it takes down long, down long time. Uh, I see a lot of very good companies uh, take Bellingcat for one without doing any uh, commercial for them, but also there's a Swedish company called Recorded Futures, uh, which are very good at what they do. They are very big. They they have a, a quite a substantial budget. They are very good at scanning uh, open source information and, and doing analysis from that in a speed and, and the delivery point, which is uh, quite amazing to see. And they are not intelligence organizations in that sense. Um, I think the org- intelligence organizations need to do two things. They need to step up when it comes to facing artificial intelligence, facing the technology scheme, interacting with, with private organizations who's doing quite a good good work on a lot of topics because uh, they are pretty much faster than, than uh, the regular societies. Just one comparison note on, on that to, to give you uh, one line of thinking of w- what I'm seeing. Um, Federal Bureau of Investigation, the FBI, NSA, which is the, the signals unit in USA, uh, and uh, CIA. So CIA, NSA, FBI have all the three put their cloud services at Amazon Web Services. Pretty much for the reason that Amazon, what what they do uh, are very good at at handling huge information storage. Of course, they are crypto 
signals and the keys to that is, is not in the hands of Amazon. Of course, it's on US soil. Uh, and of course, if Jeff Bezos would sell Amazon, uh, there will be a linkage into if you sell it to, to a Chinese party or a Russian party, we will cancel that agreement because it's out of national security for the USA. If they do it in that way, I, I think we should realize that, that large organizations are pretty slow at adopting to new speed of that. Uh, and also the space area where you see what happens happening with, with um, uh, Elon Musk in, in Ukraine and delivering intelligence from a space perspective uh, is not a, a Swedish topic where we're at our, at our best even to understand the space as a solid framework. We have uh, the Swedish Space Corporation in Kiruna which are quite good, but but from a low number, we're doing very good things. But the common knowledge of the technology space and moving outside your regular sources uh, need to have a technology shift in that way. That's what I'm seeing just in order to get better. Uh, analyst, the human brain, uh, state functions should be controlled in a way. Of course it, it should, and I'm pretty happy with that, but. Uh, I see a pressure when it comes to the technology dimension and war is a good pace of, of showing what's what could be done today. And I think Ukraine are getting really good assistance from from, uh, from, from some countries in order to support their intelligence pitch, picture from a, from, from a wartime situation, which is good because it stretches our, our knowledge, how it could be done in, in that sense. And it, it puts on a generation forward. It's uh, it's always interesting with the crisis that sort of pushes the envelope on what's possible. You saw it with the Corona uh, vaccine as well, right? Where it would usually take five years to get something developed and we were able to do it in a few months. Um, how do we get to that stage though? How, how do we get to the stage where governments are better equipped at analyzing and utilizing technology and implementing that in their, not just, a, a big sort of strategy shift but like short term and push the envelope on the budgets and making sure like we keep up with we, we keep up with the technology and the innovation I think it's I think it's hard when you're working in a government position with a lot of employees uh, yes the Swedish police have something like 30,000 employers uh, employees uh, and by stressing that, it's not that easy because you have a constant flow of work which is uh, adopted into the system which you have. Uh, like you said with Corona, which I think is a very good uh, deal breaker, you need to, to think in a different way uh, in, in that sense. And war in, in Ukraine and how intelligence sharing is done is also a shift because it's done for real. So both Corona and, and the Ukraine war is is uh, information packaging and sharing, and also developing vaccines and others in, in a much shorter time frame. Uh, when it comes to, to building things, I know th that there are discussions within Swedish banks, and I think others as well, that if you're going to change and find a new setting, you need to build a parallel bank structure because you can't develop your, your IT systems uh, in a constant, in the daily workflow, you need to build something else outside, and then you change all your 
uh, gradually change your, all your information into the new system. So you have to think new and build new. Uh, th that's one shift I see from, from at least one Swedish bank and, and other discussions within the financial system to, in order to create the new session, you need to, to not get rid of the old, but you need to start with a white, white sheet. Mm. Is there a lot of collaboration between the, between the banks and the intelligence agencies? I, I would say not enough. Uh, and basically no one's fault. Uh, there are some linkage between money laundering and terrorism financing where you have breaking points where, where you're not only entitled, you're uh, obligated to share information regarding uh, mysterious transactions. Uh, if they were allowed to share information uh, in a way where you could whitewash uh, the rules and, and regulations, uh, I, I think you could sit down and do uh, really good work together f from a lab perspective. Uh, we're doing a course here right now with one of the Swedish major banks in, in financial intelligence uh, analysis regarding how, how does the Swedish intelligence system look like? How do you, what, what is intelligence? How do you share sanctions, uh, fraud, anti-money laundering, know your customer because you have different regulations regarding that? And how do you combine that with people who are actually trying to stress the Swedish society and want to do bad things? How do you uh, investigate them and how do you even find them? Because if you don't know what to report, you don't know uh, even how to report it in that ses session. There are... Um, we have a financial police where you have, are obliged to, to handle anti-money laundering schemes and report that in, into the police systems, uh, which is good, uh, but to be quite frank, it's not enough. Mm. So sharing information be even between the banks uh, to uh, the financial inspection, but also to the security police would be a, a door opener to investigate be because I think so much more could be done to find the bad guys. It seems like that's a, that's a very common theme that the problems often lies within the the limitations of data sharing and especially personal data and the uh, sort of need to protect society from yeah, as you mentioned money laundering and terror financing and some of the tools you could use is to have more of an open shared data storage uh, where both the government and the police and the banks and so forth could tap into the gain intelligence on counterparties and whoever they do business with but due to sort of the the protection of yeah data or personal data which is also very important of course but it seems maybe it's almost to the point of disproportionate at this time and some some new legislations need to lay the groundwork for for some sort of utility where yeah society could benefit more from the intelligence work done through multiple levels both banks, government, police, and so forth. I, I think so. I, I know that you in Norway are quite good at, at keeping track of the payments to to individuals fr from the from the government's system. And we're we're building a new uh, authority here in Sweden, which is called going to be called the, the uh, in Swedish Utbetalningsmyndigheten, but the the payment uh, authority, keeping track of from the IRS and, and the insurance companies, insurance agency and three more regarding payments from the government, they would be entitled to share information from an individual perspective. Mm. 
they will be able to share information which the IRS is not able to share within itself for the moment because there are boundaries within that agency, uh, which is good. But it, that's only from a payment perspective. If someone are, are getting paid uh, or, or trying to mani manipulate the system or trying to, to do that from a terrorist perspective or, or other, uh, they are not keeping track of that. And, and the banks also have a problem of finding the motive or the rationality between individuals in, in that sense. But they could do the thing regarding uh, mysterious payments to different areas and find uh, modus operandi of, well, if you're paying something like that to, I'm just making it up, Morocco, mm. we will, we, it will cause a flag. If you pay it to Morocco and Tunisia, it will, will cause a major flag. Uh, and how do you view the individual and how do you pose a sanction? But how do you report that to the security police or the police in, in that setting? And, and the banks are in the game uh, actually of creating a benefit for their owners. But they, it, in my world, it could be a fraction of, of keeping track of people who, do, who, who you actually think are doing or preparing for bad things as well. Mm. M moving on to the next point, I'm I'm interested to learn more about the um, the intelligence community at large. What what was the most worrying type of trends that you see now? What 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 isn't that the society isn't worried enough about, sort of say? I'm I'm going to stretch where I'm a little bit more comfortable. If if you do U.S. or or Western Western Europe. Um, I, I don't think we raise enough concern when it comes to individuals who might be radicalized uh, in a setting of, of creating disturbance to, to the daily society. Uh, there are enough school shootings and people who are not feeling that well in, in the US uh, in that session. Um, you have experienced in Norway tragic events like in 2011, which is... Uh, horrendous but i'm a little bit concerned to towards individuals regarding personal radicalization mm. uh there are the incel movement uh regarding young men uh getting uh, inspired by, by canadian and american sites which is quite hateful towards young, young women but but once you visit these sites you get pretty sure that you you get uh, a different perspective which could eventually lead to to, uh, to bad things occurring. I don't I don't see that we're keeping enough track of, of that. I'm concerned regarding if you have wartime situations like in Ukraine, people and, and what happened in Syria, people will re-enter their respective countries with the skill of of they they will for sure have close links to PTSD. They will be hard to, to re-enter the daily society and get a job because the reason they left was because they were outside the society. Uh, they, they will be getting close to handling guns and vital uh, and um, hostile situations, and they will have a close network towards others. So if you have a, in, in Ukraine what they call a Nordic battalion, I asked the question, what is that? Is, is it, from my figure, something like 600 people from the Nordic countries or is it 800? Uh, and are they driving ambulances or are they carrying out wartime situation fighting? 
for real. But if they re-enter a small society up, up in north where I'm from, uh, I'm not sure that they will be handled and pampered back, brought into society once again. And carrying the moves and the contacts with, with radical other European uh, persons, mostly men, would cause a concern for the society and the security police to keep track of these people traveling to war and getting back. What what are their motivation and what kind of, how do we get, get them on board? Uh, I think the, uh, I wouldn't call them the, the green fascist movement, but there are, there, there are uh, views that we see a lot of people concerned about uh, our environment who are in Sweden from very low numbers, gradually protesting in a more white, uh, uh, in a more violent situation, trying to say that in in the in the good name of, of saving environment, we can do pretty much anything. Mm. In, in that sense, I think they are more balanced uh, and quite good pers- persons, but but you still have a radical way of of that kind of movement in, in the session. And if we're, tying, if we're tying these examples to sort of the financial crime space, mm-hmm. where do you see the sort of the biggest threat emerge? Uh, if you look at sort of the yeah the problems that you're alluding to now, none of these. I would be concerned regarding. Um, I'm pretty I'm pretty sure you're familiar with what we have in Sweden called the Quran uh, burnings. Uh, which raises a huge impact on, on different countries, even Pakistan and Turkey. Of course, burning the Quran outside their embassy here in Stockholm raises a Turkish concern. But but you also have the uh, uh, Pakistan and part of the Islamic world. If you look at that, what happened in, in uh, Bataclan in in um, in Paris, and also the, the newspaper Charlie Hebdo, and in in Copenhagen, Jyllands Posten. Uh, I think you should look out for that kind of movement regarding threat to Swedish interests, for real. Uh, some of them, highly financed, are quite good at shifting money uh, and, and making it turn up in, in various ways because uh, they will be funded. They will have a lot of money already. So if they want to pose a threat to, to Swedish or Scandinavian interests, they, they will do it. So. How do you keep track of those would be my major concern co- compared to the the uh, young radicalized men at the age of 25 or, or below or, or others. I'm, I'm, not too, I'm not too sure that, that the banks could do anything regarding that, but finding ways of, of Islamic, Islamic threat and their way of shifting money into various uh, European countries would be a concern for, for my sake. It's a great segue into into my next question, uh, where it's uh, it's a bit more taking taking the one step back and asking, how do we stay ahead of the criminals using this intelligence and making sure like the intelligence that's gathered is actually being put to use? Oh, UK wrote a paper a couple of years ago saying that. Um, Fraud uh, and online fraud or digital fraud is a threat to national security. At that time, uh, we had a fraud agency here in Sweden within the police, but today it's called Triple C, Cybercrime Center, because a lot of of frauds towards uh, a lot of elderly people 
again getting phoned up um I think part of the payments regarding unusual uh, payments, uh, usual, uh, uh, unusual accounts and different means of, of the criminals uh, getting information together of how to act. Because the Swedish system is not comparable to the Norwegian or the Belgian or others, but they are very good at learning fast how to, to, to fraud, handle fraud and fraud online. Uh, and that could be done with with a with another way of thinking. I, I I'm pretty concerned uh, and convinced on that. I think you should add other technical uh, resources like artificial intelligence in order to follow tracks and do the the reverse engineering of looking backwards in order to have a follow understanding, because it's that that amount of money and it's a. Uh, if the UK said a couple of years ago it's a threat to national security, I think it's pretty much the same in Sweden because we're funding organized crime in that sense. So instead of robbing people, it's easier to get uh, a phone station where a couple of, of people in, in Stockholm are calling up others because you get more money and without the exposure of, of, of robbing someone. Mm. And, uh, and tying it all back to the sanctions piece, how do you see sanctions shaping up in the near future with with all the changes that are happening now we're we're preparing a paper regarding that we're working with stanford university where where we have I have a colleague sitting there uh we're looking at, at russian oil imports maritime services for russian oil russian oil and, and uh, gas and coal gold import uh luxury goods like louis vuitton and others are not in order to be sold to Russia, uh, technology to or from Russia. Uh, how do you handle uh, broadcasters' news information? Because Sweden have a quite clear legislation regarding a news station, but how could that be sanctions? Yes, because it's Russian, but we, we're fairly old. If, if you have a newspaper, you have a newspaper and you have the permit to, to write pretty much what you like. Uh, I think the the access to the International Monetary Fund, the World Bank, uh, debts, money being occurred in, in different places. And, and as people are saying that, let's confiscate the Russian money and give it to, to Ukraine in order to re rebuild the state. Yeah, sounds good. But if you do it once, what kind of impact will, will it have for the future in, in that setting? Mm. So... Uh, Russian banks and SWIFT, but also the most favored nation are things like we're looking at for the moment. And, and uh, I'm, I'm a firm believer in the United Nations saying that, well, nothing is all that airtight and, and very good and solid proof, but it's pretty much still the, the only organization can, handling 193 countries. So if, if we want things to be happening, we, we should uh, rethink uh, what to do with the United Nations in order to, to have a, have it function in different way of just talking about war because yes war might be needed for the moment in order to win the win the battle but we need to handle different stages in in order to rebuild the society and rebuild trust and and at least within ten years it will happen anything in particular you you think we should uh, we should include then. I think it's hard to to get a perspective of a Russian mind because 
we get one part of the information in Sweden, you get one part in Norway, in, in Russia, they have another. And then we have our individuals' narratives of how we see things. So uh, I think you should be careful not to put a pressure on, on, on Russia being banned forever in every different way. Uh, you should address the wartime situation in a very clear mind, and then, you, and then you're done with that. Uh, sanctions is a part of provoking uh, another country to have an understanding that we want we do this because we want the war to end. But once that is done, we will still have a discussion regarding uh, doing trade with you in a proper way, because Russia might be needing rebuilding uh, too, since we have paid all the war debts that, that could be done to, to Ukraine, because uh, uh, the, the pictures we see here in Sweden from, from eastern Ukraine is, is horrible. And of course, a lot of money should go there just to rebuild what's happening. But after that, we need to have a discussion regarding uh, the, the entire continent of, of uh, Asia, like Russia, China and India, in order to make it function and have an understanding in that sense, but that's from a 10 year perspective in my world. Yeah, it's uh, it's super interesting. I see that we're, we're sort of running out of time, um, but this was an, um, yeah really enlightening conversation, Jürgen. I really appreciate you taking the time to, to share your knowledge with us. Just final question, uh, sort of to the, to the listeners of The Laundry, many of whom are working within AML, financial, uh, financial industries, compliance and so forth. Are there any tips you would provide to them to make sure they handle sort of the current landscape and situation uh, the best they can? Look look around the corner and try to have an understanding of, of what might be behind all the transactions because um, if it's organized crime or Russian organized crime or, or, or oligarchs, if it's too good to be true, it's too good to be true. Uh, I think all the rules and regula regulations are pretty much in place. Uh, but sometimes you follow the rules and still you don't get a grasp of, of uh, pulling the handle to, to make it stop in, in some sense. It, it could only be done with added education and, and there are already clever people working in that. But even more scholarly and, and educated people will will enhance that current situation where we are so look around the corner thank you so much your money make a